Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, August 17th, 2023. Jacob Hornberger, longtime friend of mine, well-known uh, lawyer, founder, and president of the Future Freedom Foundation, and an expert because of his two highly acclaimed books and innumerable uh, articles on the subject, an expert on the JFK assassination joins us now. Jake, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, the honor and pleasure are all mine, Judge. Thanks for Thank having you. me back on again. Of course. There, there are very few people who have read all that you have uh, on JFK, and, and certainly I am not one of them. Uh, in fact, I have not read your books. I have your books. I'm not going to read them till I get them autographed. I have your books. <laughs> uh, but I have read many of your uh, articles, and I want to discuss two issues today uh, on which you have written more significantly and more strenuously and with more evidence than almost anybody else. One is the double autopsy of JFK, We'll, we'll start with that, but the principal part of our show today, because we have uh, some film to show uh, the audience, uh, will be the Zapruder film and the CIA's involvement in it. So before we get to the film, uh, I'd like you to give us a, a three or four minute summary on the autopsy. And what conceivable reason could there have been for a second autopsy and how did that come about? Well, it wasn't actually the second. It was actually the primary autopsy because in Dallas, a team of Secret Service agents, well-armed and brandishing guns, uh, forced their way out of Parkland Hospital to prevent the Dallas County Medical Examiner, Dr. Earl Rose, from conducting the autopsy that was required by state law. They took the body uh, to Air Force One, where Lyndon Johnson had already removed seats to make room for it. They flew it to Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland in order to deliver it into the hands of the military. And the, the goal of the military, the mission of the military, was to conduct a fraudulent autopsy. And it, the mission that was given to the military pathologist there was, do what you need to do to make sure all the shots look like they came in from the rear. Hide any evidence of shots coming in from the front. Now, and why is it that, and how is it that you can refer to this autopsy as fraudulent, Jake? Well, let me give you some examples. Um, for, they always com, uh, contended that there was only one brain examination as part of the autopsy, which takes place after the formal autopsy. 
the Assassination Records Review Board uh, under Jeremy Gunn, the general counsel, and Douglas Horn, who was chief analyst for military records, determined, uh, this was in the 1990s, 30 years later, they determined that the pathologists had lied about that, that in, in fact, there were two brain examinations. But more important, the second brain examination involved a brain that did not in, uh, entail John Kennedy's brain. It was a brain that obviously had been brought over from the medical school, and that was passed off as the official brain of President Kennedy because it was consistent with shots having been fired from the rear. Now, it would be impossible to find a better example of autopsy fraud than something like that. What became of JF? So after, after the autopsy and, and the head is cut open and the brain is removed, what became of JFK's true brain, the brain that was actually removed from his skull? Well, that first brain exam was held about two or three days after the formal autopsy. And at that brain exam, they sectioned it. They cut it like a loaf of bread, which is standard procedure to look at the trajectories of the bullets. The most likely outcome of what happened to the real brain of John Kennedy was that it was interred with his body uh, at the funeral on Monday. And because that's what Mrs. Kennedy wanted. She said, please rush this. And that was the goal to, to rush this. And so we don't know for certain, but that's what we surmise is that that's the real brain went in with the body. But then what happened was they had a second brain exam six or seven days later involving this substitute brain, which is now the brain that supposedly was President Kennedy's brain. We don't know exactly what happened to that one, but there's a photograph in the official record of that brain that they say, well, this is President Kennedy's brain. When they weighed it, it, it weighed more than the average person's brain, like 1,500 grams. The average person is 1,350 Everybody agrees that at least 25% or up to 50% of the brain was shot out during the gunshot that hit him in the head. So there's no possibility that that second brain could be possibly be John Kennedy's brain. So who, who did this and why did they do it before we get on to the Zabruder film? Okay. We're talking about the military pathologists there, three pathologists that were primarily responsible for engaging in this. And they were given the task of hiding the fact that shots were fired from the front. And the reason for that was that this is how they could get the investigation shut down by telling people, look, there has been shots fired from the front. Oswald is a communist. He's got connections to uh, Cuba, the Soviet Union. That's what his trip to Mexico City was all about. We can't we have to cover this up immediately because this is going to go to World War Three. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why would we just let him get a pass on that? Well, the idea was that they, they go to Bobby Kennedy and they say, look, this is retaliation. You and your brother were involved with Operation Mongoose, sabotage terrorism. The CIA was trying to assassinate Castro and Castro got to your brother first. And so that was the excuse they used to shut down the investigation immediately. The deputy attorney general, uh, Katzenbach, sent out a memo on Monday saying we've got to shut this thing down immediately. And the idea was... If we don't, it'll lead to World War III. So they tell the, the pathologists, do whatever you need to do to hide the fact that there's shots fired from the front. And that's last, last series of questions before we get to the uh, Zapruder film. Uh, why was the CIA involved in telling the military what needed to be covered up? Well, 
we don't have direct evidence that the CIA was involved in the autopsy. We only have direct evidence that they were involved in this Bruder film. But there were witnesses that said that there were men in suits who looked very sinister during the autopsy. Colonel Fink testified in the Clay Shaw trial in 1969 under oath that he was beginning to dissect the neck wound and somebody came over and said, don't touch that. They ordered him, don't touch it. He couldn't remember who it was. It could have been a military officer that was higher rank. It could have been CIA. But to me, the CIA, were they were the smart guys. I mean, these were the Ivy League graduates. They were specializing in assassination since the time the CIA got established. They would be the ones smart enough to orchestrate the overall plan in here, including the fraudulent autopsy. Okay, we're going to run the uh, Zapruder film. We're going to run it twice. And then you uh, you begin analyzing it for us. Go ahead, Gary. This is the film that everybody has seen. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Now, what just happened there, Jake? Here, here it is again. Here it is again. We see the motorcycles. We see the turn in the road, but we don't see the car making the turn. All of a sudden, it is suddenly there where the motorcycles had been. Take it from there. That's the first alteration of the film that they did. Now, when I say they altered the film, they didn't really alter the original film. They made what's called an optical. They use an optical printer to make a, a copy of the film that deleted those frames. See, it's very strange when you look at that, how it just jumps over to the presidential limousine, but it doesn't show the presidential limousine making the turn. So the who, what, explain the chain of custody of the film from Abraham Zapruder to the CIA to wherever the film ended up. Zapruder makes a deal with Life magazine on Saturday, right after the assassination, the day after the assassination, November 23rd. He sells the print rights to Life magazine for $50,000. He delivers the original Zabruder film to Life Magazine's representative, Richard Stoley. He retains a first-generation copy. Stoley puts the, the, the Zabruder film on a plane to Chicago because that's where Life Magazine's printing presses are located, publishing house. But, and that's the official story to this day, that it went to the Life Magazine's printing house. What actually happened was the CIA diverted the film on Saturday afternoon to, to Washington, D.C., where it's delivered to the CIA's National Photographic Interpretation Center, top secret operation, and it's there on Saturday night 
with a team headed by a top photo analyst called Dino Brugioni. So why did the CIA do that? And how do we know that they diverted uh, the film? And what became of the people in Chicago waiting for something they had just spent 50 grand to acquire? Well, we got to keep in mind who the publisher of Life magazine was. And that was C.D. Jackson. He was a, an express asset of the CIA. He had been working with the CIA for years under Operation Mockingbird. Um, Henry Luce, the founder of Time Life, he was another CIA-aligned person. So it, it, was, there, it provided no difficulty at all to get C.D. Jackson on the phone saying, we need the film over here. Jackson would have said, yes, sir. We know that it was diverted over to, on Saturday because of the top CIA official named Dino Brugioni. Now, Brugioni is this renowned photo analyst. I mean, he is renowned in CIA circles. He's famous. You can Google him. He's got all kinds of awards. He was in the Cuban Missile Crisis analyzing the photographs. He came forward in the late 2000s. That's how long they kept this secret. And he disclosed that he was brought the original Zabruder film there at Nitpick, National Photographic Interpretation Center, the CIA's facility, on Saturday night, the, day, the night after the assassination. His job was to examine it, along with two men who, who were representing themselves to be Secret Service agents who brought him the film, and to look at the film, make blow-ups of frames, post them on briefing boards. And from then, those two Secret Service agents left with the film, and they went to Rochester, New York. What's in Rochester, New York? Rochester, New York was a top secret uh, CIA operation. The CIA was in partnership with Kodak. Kodak's research and development program there, that was their national headquarters, had a, had a facility called Free, uh, um, Hawkeye Works. And in Hawkeye Works, they had a non-classified division and then a classified division. And the classified division was the CIA. And nobody knew this. It was top secret until the 1990s. And, but at Hawkeye Works, they could do anything with film that Hollywood could do, including making, using an optical printer, what was called an optical printer, to make a high-quality, super-quality copy of a film, delete frames, uh, do artwork on certain frames. They could do anything Hollywood could do. And the purpose of, of taking the film to Rochester was to do that. Now, let me emphasize, there's no evidence that Kodak personnel were involved in this at all. This is okay. entirely a CIA operation. So what, what, of what did the alterations consist? Deletion of frames and artwork on certain frames. So they delete the wide turn that we just saw because the wide turn violated all CIA, I mean, uh, Secret Service protocols. Uh, it, they should never have had that on the route. People said they even had to, practically go up on the sidewalk to make the turn. So in other words, the car is creeping to an almost slow rate of speed there. They needed to delete that because it's incriminating. Secondly, 59 witnesses testified, or didn't testify, they stated that the car, the limousine made a complete stop or a near stop. 59. There is no stop or near stop in the, in the motorcade, in the so film. So we're we're Jake, we're talking about a stop or a near stop as they're making the turn, this is before no, after, the president after, is shot. No, after they make the turn, after, right. the, after the first shot rings out, the driver of the car, William Greer, Secret Service agent, steps on the brakes. 
Well, shouldn't and, he have stepped on the gas to get the hell out of there? Of course. Of course. That <laughs> makes common sense. He stepped on the brakes. 59 witnesses said he did. That's not in the Zabruder film. There is let's, no possibility. Let's, uh, let's watch the film again because the, the, the editing job by today's standards is so sloppy. It's so obvious. We go right from the motorcycles at the turn to the car. Oh, it sounds yeah. like it came down from a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Is this this huge jump? How how far uh, or how distant in time uh, is he killed or shot from the end of the film? Well, he's shot right as he's approaching that sign there. Uh, I don't think we see the, the shot as he's approaching the sign, but when he's coming out from the sign, you can tell him he's reaching for his throat. And after that first shot rings out, Greer steps on the brakes, stops until the shot hits him in the head, and then Greer steps on the accelerator. And I should also mention that Greer's partner, Roy Kellerman, who's sitting in the passenger seat, he's supposed to jump over the seat as soon as he hears a shot and cover the president with his body. So what, what did he do? He sat there like a bump on a log and just stared until the, the gunshot that hit Kennedy in the head. See, Kennedy could have survived that first shot, the shot that hit him in the neck. But once the headshot came in, then they step on the accelerator and head on to Parkland. Right, Gary, let's let's look at it again. Feel free to talk over this, uh, Jake. Yeah, so you see this immediate weird jump here. That's where they deleted the frames with respect to the uh, to the turn. And then, boom, see? That's, they deleted those frames. And then after this sign here, they delete more frames because the limousine, like I say, made a stop or a complete stop until Kennedy's hit in the head. And they could do that at, at, at Hawkeye Works. They had what was called an aerial optical printer. And then they also had to hide shots fired from the, from the front. They had the same mission that the autopsy people had. And Kennedy, uh, Kennedy had this massive exit size hole in the back of his head. All the doctors at Parkland attested to this, even doctors at, 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 and the nurses and, and the Secret Service agent Clint Hill, they've all said he had this massive exit size hole. Even witnesses at the Bethesda morgue said the same thing. They painted over that hole with a black patch. And uh, so that's what they could do also with this optical printer and what was called aerial imaging. They could What's put the president in. Was the president dead before they brought him to the hospital? Not technically, but for all practical purposes, yes. He, there, he, there was no possibility of survival whatsoever because of that headshot. And how did the CIA come to be involved in any of this? Would the CIA have planned or been aware of the route that the vehicle was going to take from Love Field uh, to Dealey Plaza? Oh, it's a virtual certainty that they orchestrated the route. Um, because um, everything was, it was a perfect ambush. I mean, absolutely perfect ambush. And, and they had the, usually you have the photography video car with all the pros in front of the limousine so they can capture the president. He's interacting with the crowd. Somebody put that, that, that photography van several cars back in the motorcade. And uh, so that when it comes into Dealey Plaza, the only films you have and the only photographs primarily are from amateurs. And then they, they didn't close the windows um, of the, the skyscrapers there. They, they violated every protocol. It was the perfect what, place for an ambush. Was Gina Brugioni interrogated about this? How, how this 
sudden what appears to our 2023 eyes as obvious and sloppy editing happened? Not Dino Brugioni, uh, not on that particular issue. What Brugioni attested to was that he was shown by Douglas Horn and Peter Janney, another author, assassination researcher, he, they showed him the extant film, the film that purports to be the original, the one you're just looking at. And he looked at that and he says, no, 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 that is not the Zabruder film I saw. The one I saw showed his brain um, and tissue coming straight up in the air, about three feet high. He says it was the most shocking and remarkable part of the film. And he says, not only that, but that, that film that you're showing me, the extant film, only has one frame for the headshot. He says, I'm telling you, there were multiple frames for that headshot. So they deleted frames with respect to the headshot, and then they used artwork to, to paint over this, this pink splotch on there. And that's where, you know, in, in my article and in my book, An Encounter with Evil, the Abraham Zabruder story, I cite two expert Hollywood witnesses. I have an interview with them published there where they said, this, this may have passed muster 50 years ago, but this is child's play here. They said there's no question that this is artwork that's been painted on that particular frame 313, the headshot. Where did the uh, where were the shooters? Uh, impossible to know, but uh, the probability, it's almost a virtual certainty that they were both in the front and in the back. Um, they you know, when you're going to kill the king, you got to make sure you, you you complete the job. And this was a standard military ambush. They were shooting from different directions to make sure that they actually killed him. Did the CIA murder John Fitzgerald Kennedy? Uh, they orchestrated and carried it out. And the people that who did the shooting, there's no question that they were there at the behest and under the guidance and control of both the CIA and the military. This was a joint operation. It was what was called a national security state regime change operation. No different from the assassination of Congo leader Patrice Lumumba or Chilean General Rene Schneider. Same principle. Now I'm going to get into just briefly uh, a slight ancillary area here, which you and I have never discussed. Was LBJ involved in any of this? There's no question about it. And, and we know that because of what happened there at Parkland that I mentioned earlier. Johnson was alluding to the fact that this could be the first stage of a nuclear attack by the Soviet Union, which was certainly a possibility. But when he gets to the airport after Kennedy's declared dead, he lollygags there for a long time, waiting for the casket to come th that he has ordered to, to be brought out of Parkland without permitting an autopsy to be conducted. That indicates that he clearly knew that this was not any possibility of a Soviet attack because of his lollygagging. Therefore, he was lying about that possibility. And that's how we know that he knew that there was no possibility of a Soviet attack. Otherwise, he'd have gotten into the air immediately if there was even just a 1% chance in his mind. And then he's the guy that delivers the body into the hands of the military. He didn't have to do that. They've got pathologists in Maryland, Washington, Virginia, top quality pathologists. What business did the military judge have in this? This was a state murder case. It was not a federal crime to assassinate the president at that time. The military, the CIA, Nobody had jurisdiction at the federal level, and yet the military took control because of Lyndon Johnson. You've uh, devoted a good chunk of your career to examining this. Uh, do you think we'll ever know what happened? We know what happened. We already know what happened, and this is how we know what happened. You've got a fraudulent film 
that was con- done under the auspices of the CIA. You've got a fraudulent autopsy that was done under the auspices of the military. There is no innocent explanation for a fraudulent film and a fraudulent autopsy. Nobody's ever come up with one. Nobody ever will. They necessarily equate to criminal culpability in the assassination itself. Tell us briefly about your two books. Gary will put a full screen up. Uh, An Encounter with Evil, the Abraham Zabruder story. I consider the best, this the best work that I've ever done. It's getting rave reviews on, on Amazon. Um, it delves into all that we've talked about today. The, the, the fraudulent autopsy, as well as the, the main theory of the thesis of the book, is the fraudulent film. And your other book. Uh, this is our all-time bestseller at the Future of Freedom Foundation, The Kennedy Autopsy. It's based on a fantastic five-volume work by Douglas Horn, who served on the Assassination Records Review Board, called Inside the Assassination Records Review Board. This is a synopsis of Horn's watershed five-volume work, and it's an easy read. I'd highly recommend it to everyone. Jacob Hornberger, uh, you're doing the work of the angels by exposing the truth. Uh, the, the audience should know you and I have been friends for many, many years. Uh, I love your work and deeply appreciate the time you've spent with us. Thank you very much. Well, that sure means a lot to me, Judge. Thank you so much. And thanks for oh, having me on again. Of course. Of course. If you like what you saw, like and subscribe. We're up to 183,000 subscribers. 200,000 by Labor Day is our goal. We're marching there. Judge, Judge Napolitano for judging freedom, looking out for your liberty.